All right, 1 Samuel, Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 9. First Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, Now there was a man of Benjamin, he's out of the tribe of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abihel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. I don't want to preach uh, this evening on a comparison of the Sauls. The, the name Saul means asked or desired, as if it was a, some parents were really wanting this child to be born. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to read and study your word, and I pray, dear God, that you help us to learn some things to make us know you better and appreciate you more. Lord, I pray you'll show us some things in our Bible study, even from this message tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, now, you probably know the first king of Israel was named Saul, and he is from the tribe of Benjamin. And, uh, of course, he would have been very prominent. He already is pretty prominent, being the first king of Israel, but he would have been very prominent if he had not messed up and had the kingdom taken from him and then went over to David's line for, where it stayed for a long time. So that's the Old Testament Saul. But in the New Testament, we have a very prominent man named Saul, and his name is changed to Paul. And he is the uh, uh, apostle to the Gentiles. Me and you that are not Jews, um, that got saved, our guy, our spokesman, the one we listen to, the one who wrote all the church age epistles, uh, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and I think even Hebrews, all the apostle Paul. And his name was originally Saul. And guess what tribe he was from? He was from the tribe of Benjamin also. So we have an Old Testament Saul from the tribe of Benjamin, and we have a New Testament Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. We have a guy in the Old Testament who started off good and went real bad. Real bad. And in the New Testament, he started off real bad. I mean, he was a terrorist against God's people and ended up real good. The apostle to the Gentiles. Amen. Uh, now, one of the great... Bible study tools is to compare and to contrast things. For every one of you, but especially the preacher boys, but every one of you, one of the best things you can do is notice in your Bible where things are alike and where things are different, where things are opposite. Compare and contrast. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing to do that in your life. Notice, you know what, every time I'm around that person, I feel horrible. And every time I'm around that person, I feel good. Now, don't go by that as a moral question, as a moral determination. Because sometimes it's a very good person that's making you feel horrible because you yourself need to straighten up. Amen. And sometimes it's a very bad person that's making you feel great because your flesh enjoys being around them. So just because they make you feel good doesn't mean that they are good. Because you're so bad, sometimes horrible people make you feel good. So take into account your own sinfulness. But other times, it'll be the spirit in you. And the spirit in you feels bad when you're around that person. Now that means you might want to steer clear of it. Notice in your life, notice in your job, notice in your travels, notice in your uh, ways you spend your money, in the way you eat, 
And everything you do, notice, now wait a minute, this is different than that. I'm not feeling the same here. There's a different spirit here. There's a different attitude. This has a different effect on my stomach or whatever the case may be. Start noticing when things are alike and when they're different, comparing and contrasting. So it's a great mental exercise in life, and it is in Bible, a study. Uh, compare similar things and contrast dissimilar. Jesus used this um, device often in his teaching, and he looked for opportunities um, to use it. Let's see, uh, let me read to you from Luke chapter 7 here. Let's see which verse am I on in Luke 7. I guess it's down about verse 31. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? He's looking for something to compare something to so he can explain it to the people. See, Verse 32, he says, They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you and ye have not wept. So Jesus said, now what, what likeness can I use to explain this? It is good to have comparison and contrast up so you can say, no, no, that's the opposite of the way so-and-so does it, but that's just like that sorry thing over there does it. <laughs> that is a good, good teaching uh, device. So let's look for opportunities to liken the people and events of our day to the things that help us better understand and explain them. And certainly in our Bible study, we should be attentive to facts that are similar uh, to facts that we read elsewhere. And the opposite of facts we read elsewhere. And ignoring this principle will lead you into all kinds of false teaching. Uh, what if you read in your Bible that the Lord is the one that keeps you saved, and uh, they shall never perish. But in another place it says, He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Boy, that's, that's two different things. Don't you think that's a good place to look into it and say, now wait a minute, why is it so opposite? That's where you look in the context and you see one is talking about bringing in the kingdom and one is talking about somebody's individual soul salvation. It's two different settings. See? So notice where things are different. Notice where things are alike so you don't get your Bible all messed up in your understanding of it. Now, one day, as I was reading in my Bible reading, I, I just couldn't help but notice how alike, in many ways, the two Sauls are. And so I did a little study on these. Uh, Saul, in the New Testament, is also from the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, it just stuck out to me. So let's run through a few of these and just practice our skills at comparing and contrasting. All right, now, in both cases... These Sauls appear right after the Jews have rejected the Lord. We're, we just read in 1 Samuel 9 for our text. Let's look back in chapter 8 to see what had happened just before chapter 9. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. 
Right now, when somebody in your life, especially somebody you love and it's close to you, decides that they're going to go away from the Lord, you let them go. But you say something. Amen. You protest. You say, now look, if you go that way, here is what's going to happen. I wasn't born yesterday. I've seen this about a hundred times. <laughs> this is what will happen. Furthermore, we've got history to look at. And it's what happened every time it happened in history. And we've got the Bible to look at. And it's what happened every time it happens in the Bible. There is no question what will happen if you do this. But you're free to do it. You have a free will. We believe in religious freedom, soul, liberty, whatever you want to call it. You do what you want to do. You know what the prodigal father did when the prodigal son wanted to leave and go in the far country? He gave him the money and let him go. He has the freedom to make that choice if he wants to. But the Lord told Samuel to protest and let him know, say, but now here's the king that you're going to get. <laughs> here's what he will be like. You know how we know? Because it's the way all kings are. Mm -hmm. He setteth over it the basest of men. And when you do that, this is what's going to happen. So he, uh, he let him do it. All right, look down at verse 19. The paragraph mark in a Cambridge King James Bible. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So the Lord gave them plenty of chances. Samuel gave them one last warning here. They still disobeyed and went on, and lo and behold, a man named Saul pops up from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, now let's look at the New Testament. Look at Acts chapter 7. Some out of the way from a previous time. All right, Acts chapter 7, verse 51, way down into the chapter. Stephen is tearing them up, <laughs> preaching at them. Acts 7, 51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers? So he is absolutely railing on them and preaching at them. Uh, verse 53, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. So they reject him in the Old Testament, boom, up comes Saul from Benjamin. They reject him in the New Testament, and boom, up comes Saul from Benjamin. Isn't that interesting? In spite of God just having worked with them recently. Back in 1 Samuel, in chapter 7, Verse 13, the Bible says, So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. 
So the Lord just had delivered them from Philistines and took care of them to show them they didn't need a king when they demanded a king. And likewise, in Acts chapter 6, the Lord showed up and there was preaching going on and there were uh, deacons ministering to the, uh, to the widows and there was preaching going on and a revival was going on and went on into other cities around the area. The Lord was obviously working and so, of course, the Jews rejected him right then. Isn't that something? When the Lord is obviously working, and you still reject him. That is a dangerous place to be. Now don't get me wrong. To get things wrong when God's given us the word of God and the Holy Spirit to guide us is always wrong. It's never a good idea. But sometimes it is just especially clear that God is doing something and people don't want anything to do with it. That's a bad place to be. You're in trouble when those things are happening. So in both cases, God was obviously working with his people, and they just still rejected him anyway. Don't ever think that this flesh wants anything to do with God, even in the good times. Now, our spirits get all excited during the good times and following the Lord, but our flesh will oppose him any time. As the old silly song says, morning, noon, or nighttime, any time's the right time. <laughs> Your flesh will go against God any chance it gets, no matter how wonderful things are going. You may be, the, I've seen people at the peak of their lives reject God. David was at a wonderful place in his life when he just decided he was going to please his flesh and did something that messed up the rest of his life. Amen. So when your flesh is dead set on opposing God, regardless of what good is going on around it. So both Saul's show up right after the Jews reject the Lord. All right, secondly, they were unexpectedly chosen for special privilege. See, I got some of these down here. It might save me some turning back and forth. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 17. The Bible says, And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. And in Acts 9, 15, when uh, Ananias is being talked to by the Lord, the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Ananias was told, Hey, Saul here, this is the one that's a chosen vessel unto me. And Ananias, and I totally understand why, I argued with the Lord, said, Lord, now there's a bunch of people saying, this man's killing us. <laughs> he's, he's a terrorist against us. What do you mean? And the Lord said, go your way, do what I said. He's a, he is a chosen vessel before me. The Lord doesn't always do things in ways that make sense to you. I've been telling people just recently, faith promise does not make sense to me. It's not logical. But you know what? God blesses it. God blesses giving. So Saul in the Old Testament did not even know where or who the man of God even was. If I'd have picked somebody to be the king uh, of Israel, God's people, I'd have picked somebody that at least you know knew where to find the man of God. And poor old Saul back in the Old Testament was, was clueless about these things. Uh... 1 Samuel chapter 9, let's see here, verse 6. 
Bible says, and he said unto him, Behold, now there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither. Peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. So this is the servant talking to Saul. Saul didn't know that this was a city that had a man of God in it. The servant had to tell him. Isn't that a shame? I would like to think that if I lived in ancient Israel, I'd at least know where Samuel was and where to find him if he was the one that was going to the Lord for me. The Bible says there was no open vision. The word of the Lord was precious in those days. Samuel was to a large degree where you had to go to get the word of God, and he ran a circuit, and he would go from this city to this city to this city. I'd like, I'd like to think I at least knew where one of them was. Apparently Saul didn't even know that, and his servant had to tell him, oh, well, there's a man of God here in this city. Look at verse 18. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. <laughs> he walked up to Samuel and said, Hey, can you tell me where the prophet is? And he was talking to the prophet. He didn't even know the guy. And this is the guy that's going to be king. Verse 19, And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let thee go and will tell thee all that is in thy heart. So, would you think Saul would be the one that would be chosen? When he doesn't even know where to start to find the word of God, that hadn't been important to him. And the New Testament Saul didn't know the Lord or who he was, who he was persecuting. When uh, the Lord shined that big light and knocked him off the horse and he hit the, he hit the deck, hit the ground so hard, he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the bricks. So Saul in the New Testament sure wouldn't have been the one you would have thought. And I don't blame Ananias for asking. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. So they were both, they both appear after the Jews reject, and they were both unexpectedly chosen for a special privilege when nobody would have thought this would be the one that was picked either time. All right, I'll tell you another one. They were both um, popular with the religious leaders of their day. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse uh, 22, Samuel loved Saul. Samuel, the great prophet, he's, buddy, he's in anybody's top ten of Bible characters. Great character. He loved Saul. 1 Samuel 9, 22, And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place among them that were bidden, which were about 30 persons. Uh, look at verse 27. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still a while, that I may show thee the word of God. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? So Saul was loved by Samuel. When Saul gets in trouble and Samuel has to go anoint David and uh, Saul can no longer be king, it says that Samuel mourned all night over that. And the Lord said, How long will you mourn over Saul seeing I have rejected him? The religious leader, just because a religious leader, somebody that does know the Lord and is in contact with the Lord, just because they like somebody, doesn't mean they're any good. You know why? They're still human. Some 
some wrong turns I have taken in my life, some godly men that I have a lot of confidence in to this day, told me to do that. You know what? They're still human. Before you listen to Brother Bob, before you listen to any human, and I believe me, I'm big on even adult children still listening to their parents. I think parents still provide important guidance even after you're grown, especially in the early, your early adulthood. But take into account your parents, your pastor, anybody else that you look up to, they are human. They are not the scriptures. Take their account, uh, their advice into account seriously, but don't take it as scripture. We are all human. We all have flesh. Seriously consider it, but don't treat it like it's God speaking. So uh, Samuel loved Saul, and in the New Testament, the religious leaders absolutely loved Saul. Let's see here. Is this one I have down? Uh, Acts 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. The high priest got completely behind what Saul was doing. Now, the Bible says that the high priest could give prophecies. It says in the Gospels that he being high priest that year prophesied. And he told a true prophecy in the life of Jesus that he would die for the people. One man would die for the people and the whole nation perish not. And the Bible calls that a prophecy. So he had some connection to God. The Lord did speak to, through him. And yet, boy, he got some things wrong, didn't he? How about Balaam? Was Balaam not truly a prophet of God? He did, buddy. When he said things, they came true. But boy, his flesh got him messed up, didn't it? Isn't he a great example of this? So the, uh, the religious leaders had both of them real popular with in those circles. And when it came time to say goodbye to Saul in the Old Testament, the Lord had to fuss at Samuel, man. Sam One time when the Lord is telling how great some of his prophets were he said if you had Samuel there he'd just get his own self out of trouble I wouldn't even That's listen right. to him about the rest of it so he lifts up Samuel as a great example and yet he has to fuss at Samuel for sticking the Saul too long <laughs> my goodness and likewise when Paul is leaving the uh, church at Ephesus there in Acts chapter 20 it says that they walked with him all the way to the ship and they were sorrowing, and they were crying, and they were hugging. And when he said, I'll see your face no more, it said they broke out weeping and crying, especially sorrowful, when he said, I will see your face no more. Now, both of these Sauls are greatly loved uh, by people in leadership positions and spiritual positions. All right, now another thing about these guys that's good. Let's see, what point am I on here? Uh, each of these became another man. Now, Sam, the, the Saul back in Samuel, when he, uh, when the Lord gets a hold of his heart, he is not the same guy at all. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. Thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice 
sacrifices and peace offerings, seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. So something happened to Saul, and he was never the same guy again. God gave him a different heart, and he, he completely changed until he let his flesh take over. And that's a good lesson to all of us. And then in Acts 9.21, when Saul, who <coughs> later became Paul, gets saved, and he starts preaching for Jesus, this is what the Bible says in Acts 9.21, But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? They said, This can't be the same guy. But isn't this him? Let me tell you something, folks. It goes the other way, too. Sometimes we've known people that were on fire for God for years, maybe even decades, and you couldn't believe it was the same person. Amen. I heard a story just today about a man that was in the ministry and serving the Lord, and he lost his church, and he lost his marriage, and he lost his kids, and he lost his job, and he lost most of his income. And the person that used to know him when he was right with God and serving God said, hey, you better get back with the Lord and get back in church. He said, no, <laughs> no. What happened? How did somebody that was on fire for God and living for God do that? I'll tell you what happens. You let the flesh reign or you let the spirit reign, it'll turn you into a different person. Now, we're always battling some flesh, but it's, that's different matter than letting the flesh take over. And our spirit always has some control and has some influence, but that's a different matter than putting the Holy Spirit filling you, and filling the glove, as we say sometimes, and being the one in control. All right, it amazed everybody that had known him. So they appear after the Jews rejected the Lord. They were unexpectedly chosen for special privilege. They were popular with religious leaders. They each became another man. All right, here's the thing about them that is striking. They both had a real strong personality. I mean, when they were in the room, they were the main character there. And if they said something, everybody listened. And one of the things that always frustrated me is I don't have that. I don't have that presence. I can be in a room and everybody talking, and I try to say, Hey, lunch is ready. Everybody eat lunch. And one or maybe two people will hear me. The rest of them, it, it is as if my voice just tunes people out. I remember when I was working at Lowe's in the contractor yard, we had those speakers that would go over. You know, those things, people were saying stuff over the speakers ever so often, and you wouldn't even notice it. But once in a while, I'd hear, Bobby Schoolfield, line five, Bobby Schoolfield, line five. Something about my name, even though I tuned that out all day, when I heard my name, hmm, I noticed or maybe if my boss's voice came over it. Oh, wait a minute, that's my boss. Let's see if he's saying something important. I do not have that at all. <laughs> if I start talking, they immediately, man, what is that irrelevant noise I hear? I cannot, I just never have done it, man. I wish I had the presence, man. I wish I had the strong personality that the Saul's have. I've just never, that has just never been my thing. 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 6. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, 
Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. If I sent out a message and said, you guys better be here and support this meeting, yeah, I'd get about like what we got tonight. <laughs> I just ain't got it. But buddy, when Saul said, everybody in Israel said, oh man, we better take care of this. I mean, he could just speak. I mean, it was unbelievable the power that was going on with it. Uh, look at chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. Here, I'll read it to us. 1 Samuel 19, And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence. And he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul was going to get attention one way or the other. He was going to get you one way or the other. And people knew when Saul was mad, you'd be ready to run. 1 Samuel chapter 20. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. Oh yeah, that's an important clue. When a guy throws a javelin at his own son to kill him, fussing over David, I'll guarantee you he'll kill David. So uh, they had this strong personality. They were going to have their way. And in the New Testament, the Bible says, Saul, who later became Paul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. He said, I want them dead, and I'm going to start killing them. And he didn't even have permission from the high priest yet. It was after he had already started that he thought, well, here, I'm going to go get a license. <laughs> and he goes and gets permission from the high priest. said, hey, these people that's causing all this trouble, I'm killing them. Will you, will you back me up on this? And he gets letters from the high priest saying, yeah, we need to take them. So he had a strong personality. 1539, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. Now, you know, if it was me, and I was working with a good Christian man that had helped me a lot, like Barnabas had Saul or Paul, I would say, now, wait a minute, you know, Barnabas is a good man, and maybe we disagree on this one point, but we don't need to split up. Boy, not Paul. He said, you don't agree with me? You go your way, I'm going my way, I'm doing it my way. I'm just not that strong. <laughs> I get thinking, well, wait a minute, they're good and godly too. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm missing something here. <laughs> I mean, buddy, these, these guys, it was going to be my way or the highway. Exodus, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus, my goodness. Acts 23.2, And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For why sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? I mean, he didn't care to tell them off, but he... Uh, let's see, 2 Corinthians 3. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. When Paul preached, he didn't care if it sounded good. The power that he used was not eloquence. He was rude in speech. They said his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. He was not interested in whether or not he... If he was trying to win friends and influence people, he would have done it more friendly. 
he would have done it more pleasing to the ears. That didn't matter to him in the least. So they both had a strong personality. But I'll tell you this, they both had free will as to God's privilege. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, the Bible says, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So the Old Testament Saul was told, Here's what you need to do. You have a free will as to whether or not to do it, but it'll cost you if you don't obey me. I'm not going to keep you in a position of responsibility uh, if you don't obey me. And sure enough, 1 Samuel 28, 18, Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executed his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. And New Testament Paul, he had a free will as to these things. He chose, to, he chose to do wrong, and then he chose to do right. Because thou hast, uh, I'm sorry, for I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now, i got to admit, as I read Saul's conversion story in the New Testament, it doesn't look like he had much to say about that. <laughs> he kind of had to do it. I, I don't, boy, that, that would have been rough to try to turn God down then. But once he was saved, he labored more abundantly than all the other apostles. He said, the grace of God inside of me, I'm going to choose to put all I've got into this. Boy, it would sure do us good to put all we have into serving the Lord like Saul later became Paul did. Now Saul in the Old Testament, that sorry thing went the opposite way. The Lord chose him. The Lord gave him a new heart. He was all set up. Samuel, the man of God of that day, loved him like he loved nobody else. And yet he gave his whole life to please himself. Time after time after time, he's talking about me and myself and what about me? And does nobody have any mercy on me to tell me that Jesse's son is out here doing this and that? It's just all about me. Nothing, almost nothing about the Lord. Otherwise, King David, who took over afterwards, he inquired of the Lord time after time after time. And he said, these are your people, the sheep of your pasture. He was worried about God's people. And when the Lord was punishing them, David said, hey, it's on me and on my house. Don't punish your sheep for this. David was thinking about the people. Saul was thinking about himself. Amen. Saul in the New Testament, on the other hand, was laboring to try to be the best apostle he could be. And one other thing I'll say that they had in common. They both knew when their death was near. Look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell straightway all along the earth, and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no bread all the day, nor all the night. So he was warned. 
I heard a man preach a sermon on this one time saying, what would you do if you knew you had 24 hours to live? Saul in the Old Testament was told that. He said, tomorrow about this time, you won't be on this earth. You'll be in that other place. So uh, he knew when his death was near. And likewise, Saul of the New Testament, who of course we call Paul, knew when his death was near. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He says, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm done. You know where you want to be when it comes to the end of your life? You want to be right there. Where you say, here's my wish. There's nothing else I want. I've, I've done it. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And he does make one little bit of a request. He says in verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. He knows he doesn't have much time, so he tells Timothy, Get down here and see me just as quick as you can, because you don't have much time. Dr. Ruckman has a great message on that called, Come Before Winter. Come Before Winter. You don't know when the window of opportunity closes. Your influence on somebody that you work with, some neighbor, one of your children, somebody, you don't know when the window of opportunity closes. You better take care of things before winter. One of these days winter comes and you can't do it. I think I'll praise the Lord while I have a chance. I may not have a chance anymore. I think I'll knock on doors while I have a chance. I may not have a chance anymore. But I don't read in Paul any sadness. Now he was human. He made some mistakes. He sinned. But that's not what he's looking back at. He's not going, oh, I wish I had just done such and such and such and such. I've seen studies on this where they interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people on their deathbeds. And they compiled and there was ten major complaints that they all had. And I just wished I'd have done it this way and I wished I'd have done it that way. You live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And even counting your mistakes and your sins, and we'll all have them, your main point will be, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day. You just be sure you're busy for the Lord all the way up to the end. And both Saul's knew when their death was near. But one was dreading it. It said he hadn't eaten a bite of food all day and all night. And the other was saying, I have kept the faith. There's a crown waiting on me. They say the day that D.L. Moody died, he was walking around talking about the victory he had and said, this is my coronation day. This is my coronation day. Oh, boy, you ought to study the deaths of saints and sinners Amen. and see the difference. Live for the Lord. Do not live for yourself. Labor more abundantly than they all, like Saul in the New Testament did. And at the end, you'll be at a place where you don't have anything else to wish for. The Lord took care of it. Borrowed treasures, borrowed dreams, and all life's joys he's given me. When life's troubles come, you're always there to make me smile. 
Come what may, thy will be done. I love thee, Jesus, God's precious son. Lord, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. That'll be what you'll be thinking on your deathbed if you live for the Lord Jesus and not have that dreadful death that Saul in the Old Testament had. I would sure hate to be in his shoes. Hey. Knowing the Philistines were about to come kill him and knowing that he was in trouble with God and Saul or Samuel came back from the dead and talked to him. Did you know that's in the Bible? A guy comes back from the dead and tells him, boy, you've had it, brother. You're not going to make it another day. And you're on the wrong side. How would you like to spend your last day like that? Or look at Paul's last days. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Live for the Lord. Keep doing it. Keep steady. Keep working. You say, well, I've made some mistakes. I'll have some regrets. Yeah, but at the time of your death, they won't even matter. Because you will have given the majority of your life to the Lord. And the mess-ups that you do and the punishments that you get, and you'll get them, He lessens them. He lessens them way more than you could ever think. And I could give you story after story out of my own life, and I know a lot of other people could too. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, read and